We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. 1 John chapter 2, my father would call it the two-eyed chapter of the one-eyed John. It's uh, chapter 2 and verse, uh, oh, about 7 and following. Let me tell you about this text here, just to give you an overview of, of what it's going to be about. Whenever I read my Bible, I'm looking for three things, always, all of us, just instinctively. I want to see who God is. That's the ultimate fascination. Who is God? And then I want to look at what is my duty to correct me in my, in my actions, my love, my speech, my habits, my whatever, to keep me on point, adjust me every week, every time I get in my Bible. But then a third one is, the Bible is a historical document from Genesis 1 in the beginning to Revelation 22, 5, they will reign forever, beginning to end, alpha to omega. It is God in history. It's not just a theoretical idea of who Yahweh is. You see him from creation all the way to the new creation. It's like you have a videotape on him to try him by. This is who he is. And so as a result, when you look in the Bible, you see everything in the Old Testament comes up until the cross. The New Testament goes from the cross all through where we are until his return. Creation, redemption, glorification, past, present, future. And so uh, you, when you read it, you know what God is doing. It's been said that the Bible could be called what on earth is God doing for heaven's sake? Because you can see what he's about and you can now adjust yourself. C.S. Lewis said that if I am not in keeping with God, I am eternally out of step. Am I about the things that God would be about if God became one of us as indeed he did? And so remember that because that last idea is what this text is about. What is God doing? The Bible gives us a perspective. In 1 John, you'll see a phrase occur over and over again, and it goes, by this we know, by this we know, by this we know. Because this book was written late in the first century, around 90, about the same time Revelation is. Uh, the Christian message was beginning to go out. The apostles have died, except for John. He's the last one. And uh, we're now in the in the third or the second generation of the faith. Guys that are, that maybe heard from the apostles, but they did not see Jesus rise from the dead. They're taking it all by faith. And so there was the kind of the first jab by the devil in this book. It is called Gnosticism. Gnosis means knowledge. Gnosticism would pet the Christian on the head and said, your ideas of God are nice, but we're greater we have a greater gnosis than you do, Gnosticism. It was kind of a melding the Bible with Greek philosophy. As I'll show you, it was a hybrid, a centaur of both, a golden calf. Uh, Gnosticism said Jesus wasn't a man and he wasn't divine. He was an angel that descended upon a man and gave him a higher knowledge, this enlightened man of what we should be, of which Christianity has messed it up. And so they, they were saying that our, 
they did not agree with Christian and apostolic truth, that he was the son of God that became one of us. And then that morality, they have a higher sense of morality, is that there was none. They had a Greek idea of the flesh and the spirit, that the spirit is good, the flesh is evil and fallen, so it doesn't matter what you do with it. You need to be in contact with the angelic spirits of which they held Christ was one. And they had secret knowledge that nobody else had, but they had no morality. They said, because your body is fleshly and it will um, erode, that it didn't matter if you were a glutton or a drunk or a fornicator or what else, it didn't matter. Because what was important was the higher spiritual ideas. If you live through the 60s, it was the 60s, okay. That's what they were saying. And as a result, they had no great respect for apostolic teaching. They had no reverence of Christ as far as the Son of God. And they, uh, they had no sense of moral integrity and no sense of the love of the brethren. And so John is writing to these people that have been petted on the head by these all-knowing guys, these philosophers. And he's going to say to them, by this we know, and he's going to talk about doctrinal truth. If we believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he is the very son of God, that what was from the beginning, what our eyes saw, our hands handled, our ears heard, consulting the word of life, and the life was manifested. We saw him. He's divine. And so he's going to say that uh, by this we know that if you have fundamental truth that Christ is the son of God that died for you, and then he's going to say by this we know that you are obedient to God, that it gets into your morality. And by this we know that if it shows itself in the love of the brethren, that you're just not a, a monastic or a hermit, that you love other people like God is love. And then he's going to say that uh, you're gonna persevere to the end. What do you think this means? They went out from us, for they were not really of us. Because if they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. But they went out from us that we might know that they all are not of us. I wonder what John meant by that. That's fisherman's logic, all right. These guys that punted the faith and went off on their own, they're not Christians. And so uh, what he's gonna say here in verse three and following, let's pick it up on the dead run. Are you with me so far? That's why John has written, it's called the true test. It's like, is that body alive? Pulse, breath, heartbeat, Warmth, yeah, it's alive. Is that guy a Christian? Let's see. By this we know. By this we know. What's the gospel? Has your life changed? What church are you in? Are you persevering? You're a Christian. And so he says in verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I've come to know him and doesn't keep his commandments, he's a liar. I wonder what John meant there. And the truth is not in him. Truth is not something that you simply believe and assent to. It's a living thing, the very seed of God that conceives in you. And you're a new creation. And in verse four, so uh, he says, the truth is not in him, verse five, but whoever keeps his word, the obedience, in him, the love of God has been completed or perfected. The word uh, perfected in Greek, is spelled T-E-L-O-S, telos. We get it on like television, telegraph, telephone. It means from one point to the other. It's completed. 
And so the love of God does not merely start with the ascent that Christ died. No, it's completed when you believe it, it gives life and it shows up in your life that you're a new creation. When you take a sperm and an egg and they come together, it has a telic, a teleological purpose. And that's a little baby that comes out, a human. And so when God puts his seed in us that's united with faith, it's meant to be a living child of God, born again. Amen. This is the old Calvinistic idea of the perseverance of the saints. And so the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walks. So John cuts it real clear. You're not a Christian because you say you're a Christian or even assent to the atonement, but because God has changed your heart. That's the way we know. I'll give you a great illustration. There's a woman in our congregation that um, she was adopted as a little girl, loved her adoptive family. They were the best of family. They passed away. She wanted, I'd always wanted to know who her real family was. Well, she got to find out what her original family name was. And it was a Welsh name. It wasn't a common name. She told me what it was. I'd never heard it before. And she knew she was from Evanston, Illinois. Is that right? Illinois? Indiana. Indiana. Like I say, Evanston, <laughs> any idea who the girl is? <laughs> My old buddy, Stephanie Wasberg. Okay. Give me your phone number, Stephanie, just so we can, in case they want to go. Well, Stephanie wondered, you know, who are these guys? And she looked on what's called Facebook. All right. And there's that name. And there's a woman. And she says uh, to her husband, I don't want to look at it. You tell me, is there a similarity? He said, no, not really. And then she realizes that she would be the woman marrying in. I need the guy. Now, here's the husband. What do you think? And her husband went, that's scary. <laughs> because it was two people right there. Same guy. Same DNA. She makes a call. She hears a voice say, I've been waiting for this call for 40 years. She was put up for adoption as a little girl. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Stephanie. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she flies up. And they, she finds out she has brothers, a brother, sisters, and she flies up to see them. And she gets off the plane and she looks up and there she is. And all these people, it's her. And she said, we hugged, we cried. She said that week I gained 10 pounds from eating continually, having parties. And she said, we were just hugging and I, I had found where I came from. And she said, I looked down and I cried out, y'all have fat toes, just like me. Stephanie, hold your foot up right here. Somebody, you got fat toes. Those are my people. And that's the way it is when you become a Christian. Amen. You come here and you go, these are my people right here because they looked alike. So are you a Christian? Do you look like him? Okay. And progressively so, as you get older, you look more like him. And so in verse seven, he says, beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. Because the question are, he says, whoever keeps his commandments. Well, what are the commandments? 
What are these things you're supposed to do in the Christian age? He says, well, I'm not writing to you a new one, meaning I'm not going to add to what Jesus said because the Gnostics prided themselves on we have new knowledge. Even the apostle will not add to what Christ said unless he is inspired to do so. So he said, I'm not going to give you a new, I mean, uh, I'm writing a new one, not a new one, but I'm writing an old one, which you've had from the beginning. What was the beginning? Well, the beginning of the Christian era, the beginning of the cross, the message from the apostles, which they heard from Jesus about a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so she says, this is not a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since Christ rose from the dead. But in verse eight, on the other hand, I am writing to you a new commandment. In what sense is it new? Well, you remember Christ said after he washed their feet, if I, the Lord, have done this, you, the disciples, ought to do it as well. Behold, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Now, in what sense is it new? It's new, oh, give you an idea. They came to Christ and said, what's the greatest commandment? Love your neighbors yourself, love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. On this rest all of the law and all of the prophets. If you do that, then you're gonna keep all the rest. If you love God, you're going to obey him and you're going to love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. You're not going to chase his wife. You're not going to kill him. You're not going to slander him. Matter of fact, Paul said the whole law is summed up in one word. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's the, the new commandment is the commandment of grace. For instance, have y'all noticed there's a difference with how you raise your children and how you raise your adult sons? When they're children, you just can't say to them, I'm your father, this is your mother, we love you. We want you to love us too and do right, okay? You're six, you can figure it out. <laughs> is that child, because you love them, going to do right? He's going to burn down the house. <laughs> no, because he's not mature. He's a child. So you put him under, under rules. Eat your broccoli or get a beaten go to bed or get a beaten, uh, come in for dinner, or get a beaten. And you do that. Why? Because you love them. This hurts me more. <laughs> yeah. And so you love them. So you give them rules because they're not mature enough to be treated as sons. They're treated as children. Now in the Jewish culture, there's a day that you're going to pass from being a child to a son. You become the son of the, of the commandment, a bar mitzvah. And at the bar mitzvah, that child will get up and say, today, <coughs> today I am a man. And now you don't give him a beating. He's to do what's right because he is mature. He's a son. If he doesn't, you stone him. Okay. <laughs> so you, you don't have juvenile delinquency problems on Israel. You, you do what's right. Uh, it's why when you go home, mama doesn't make you eat your broccoli. She just said, this is who we are. Do what's right. Well, in the Old Testament, you gave them laws because they were children. The Spirit of God had not regenerated. Now, 
You just say, this is who God is. This is who Christ is. This is what he did. This is what the Bible says. Do it. Amen. And you do it. Uh, we're the one of the few cultures that doesn't have a rite of passage. Did you know that? All cultures. The Watusis will go out and kill a lion with a spear or something. The Jews have a bar mitzvah. We don't really have a time. Uh, I would put it like oh, 47, 48, <laughs> as you become mature. And so John felt that in verse uh, 8, I am writing a new commandment, and here's why. It is the beginning of a new day. You've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing you a new one, true in him and in you. The darkness is passing away. We're having a tectonic movement of history. Light has now shone in our world, bringing God and love and obedience to planet Earth. Not just a bunch of rules, but there has been a man rise from the dead on an Easter morning and the sun broke and he's alive. And then Mary Magdalene was alive, and Peter and John are alive, and the 12 are alive. Then 120 are alive at Pentecost, then 5,120, then 9,120 from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts. Amen. That's us, the outermost parts. And so it's kind of like Neil Armstrong would say. It's a small step for man, a giant leap for mankind. Christ stepped out that tomb, and man leaped from religion to what the theologians called the divinization of man. God starts making man back into the image of God, not through Adam, but through the last Adam, which is Jesus. And so it goes like this in verse eight, it is true in him. God is love. His son loved them till the end. He went about doing good at healing all oppressed by the devil. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Christ is love. Behold how he loved him. And so it's true in Christ. And in verse 8, it's true in you. As Christianity is a sharing of the life of Christ. You have been born again, said Peter, not of sperm uh, that is perishable, like your father, born of him and you die, but of seed that is imperishable, the living and abiding word of God as it is written, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God abides forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. You take that truth and you put it with faith and you have a new life. And so it is true in you. It goes like this. We have become partakers of the divine nature, Peter. It is no longer I who live, Christ lives, Paul. John 10, 10, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly, Jesus. Jeremiah, behold, I make a new covenant, prophesied. Christ at the Last Supper, this is my blood of the new covenant. The new covenant is not the law in front of you, like a map. It's the law inside of you, like a GPS, all right? where you have a, the Puritans would say a different unction, that I do it because I'm changed. I do it because he is loving. I want to, that's the new birth. When I go home, my wife sees me, she kisses me, why? She must. <laughs> She's overwhelmingly, right, let's move on, okay. 
And so we don't have, you ever heard this? I used to hear it a lot, wasn't sure what they meant, now I do. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And it, it isn't just a set of rules. It's a meeting that the human being has with God when he finds his lost child. And so, John, it's not new, but on the other hand, it is. Because it is true in Jesus, and it's true now in you. And it's because the darkness is passing away. Paul put it like this. He said, concerning the love of the brethren, I have nothing to teach you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He says, it's instinctive that you love each other. And so this is how John saw Christianity. He saw it as Christ coming and bringing the life of God, dying for our sins and him coming to indwell us. And when he does, it's the beginning of something. And verse eight, the darkness is passing away and the true light has come. Ignorance is gone. Truth has come. Darkness is gone. Christ has come. When I was a little guy in about the sixth grade, I really loved reading Greek mythology. And there's something about mythology that even though it's a human story, a lot of times there are the, the longings of the human spirit are seen in it, of their wishing something could be true. That's the great thing about Christ. It's not us wishing something could be true. He's called the truth. And so what my favorite reading was the 12 labors of Hercules. And my favorite labor was the one that I still remember was when he cleaned the Aegean stables of Greece. All of these stallions and all of these stables and it was nasty from these, and he had to clean it. And he goes in with a shovel and he's shoveling out all this stuff and he's sweating and he's getting dusty and hot. And he notices that there's a river that runs outside the stable. He takes his shovel now and he simply redirects the river and it runs through the stable. And I still remember the wording of that book when I was 12 years old. It says, and the river rushed through it and everything was sparkling clean. That's the atonement. That we're trying our best to clean this place up, but it, we just get hot and sweaty. All of a sudden, the light shines in the darkness and it rushes through and we are washed clean. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Amen. Where it's all gone. And so John says, the darkness is passing away. The darkness of sin, idolatry, Roman barbarism, the gladiatorial games perversion. The Romans didn't practice abortion. They practiced infanticide. The child would be born. You'd throw them out. Usually a girl. Let somebody pick her up for slavery or make a prostitute. Christians began what was called places for the orphan, orphanages, where you take care of them. They, a lot of times the poor wouldn't get a burial. They'd throw the body out to rot. Christians would take them and bury them. Uh, from the uh, Greek philosophy where you tried to find truth by going into yourself and beginning a process that would never find any final truth and just become bizarre. Uh, Jewish legalism, where they mistakenly thought you were gonna work hard to earn salvation. That's why they judged Paul and judged Peter and the apostles. That's gone. Uh, often at the, in the Roman times, a man would have a wife, then he'd have a mistress. Sometimes he'd have a little boy be a pedophile. That's gone. 
poly, uh, polygamy, gone, at least it's supposed to be, and monogamy, the exaltation of women. In uh, India, when a man would die, the woman would set herself on fire and throw herself in the casket. It's called sati. And the British government outlawed it because it was an indignity to women. And on and on and on. And so the darkness is passing away from the Tower of Babel on into the nations, into the religions, and into the, as in Revelation, where the harlot offers a cup of the abominations of men. It's gone. Isn't that great? The house of the harlot versus the house of wisdom. It's gone. And I'll give you a good verse here to the Thessalonians. The word has been preached, how you turned from God to idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. How you turn to God from idols to serve a living God. Everybody's talking about it. The true light is already shining. It's like Easter morning. I really believe that there is a reason why Christ had to die on Passover. Passover is the uh, religious birthday of Israel. Their solar calendar began in uh, the fall of the year at the Feast of Trumpets. But at Passover, that was the day they came out of Egypt and death passed over, except for those with the cross of blood on their front door. They were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And so God said, this will, begin the begin this will be the beginning of months to you. Exodus 12, 1. This is where you start. Your life began on your birthday. Israel's life began on their birthday. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's when Christ rose from the dead, that he died on the day that the Lamb was slain. And he rose from the dead on the Feast of Firstfruits. That's where you would offer to God the first fruits. And then all the rest of the harvest was sanctified. All of the harvest came on Pentecost. That's where the church's birthday began. Christ died on Passover. He was raised on first fruits. Christ, our first fruits. When God accepts it, it accepts us. And so that Easter morning is when he rose, first fruits. He came forth from the grave on the darkness and the sun shone. And there was a new day on planet earth. When Israel came out of bondage, there was a new day on the earth. The idea of the infinite personal God of grace was now planted in the middle of the earth in Canaan. When Christ died, it exploded. How many completed Jews do we have here? Would you hold your hand up? We had like six in the, Jews get up earlier, I think. We had them in the first service. How many saved Germans do we have here? Don't be embarrassed. How many saved uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, Scotch-Irish? Would you hold your hand up? Bunch of them. How many, um, how many Irishmen? Is there an Irishman that's recovered from the night prayer? That's <laughs> way that one. How many Aggies? Do we have any Aggies? <laughs> Okay. Need to get all the aliens. <laughs> all right. What are y'all doing as Christians? What are y'all doing with a Bible given to the Jews, with a Savior that's a Jew, with a knowledge of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the Jew? Where'd you get that? Christ, He exploded to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria.
All authority is given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the knowledge that you have that nobody else has of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what I taught you to obey, and I'm with you. Isn't that amazing? And so this is what on earth God's doing for heaven's sake. The light has come up. Okay. Listen to this. Zacharias, father of John the Baptist, he said his son was the forerunner of him who is the sunrise from on high. Peter and John called Christ the morning star, the last thing you see before the new day. Malachi said of Messiah, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in its wings whenever the rays of light go out. Paul, I love this, to the Romans, it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. God has wakened us and given us rebirth. For now the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believe the coming of Christ is close. And in a sleeping world, you guys are awake. You know what's happening when you read your Bible. Uh, Isaiah, awake thou who sleepest and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You ever had your mother get you up saying rise and shine? That's where that comes from. Rise and shine. We're awake in a sleeping world. Uh, he makes the lame to walk again and makes the blind to see. We are awake in an anticipation of the coming day. We're like Biff in uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> Biff made a load of dough. You know why? Because he had a book that told him exactly what the future held. And he guarded it zealously in a bank vault. Nobody could get to it. You and I, I'm sure that God has never heard this statement. You and I are Biff. Okay. We got a book and we know what the future is going to do. And so the night is almost gone. The day is at hand. What could we say here about the day is at hand? The dignity of man is from the Bible and Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his son. The idea of the dignity of woman. Christ is never opposed in the Bible, except maybe by, uh, who was Salome's mother? Herodias. That's all. He's ladies' man. The women loved him. Come meet a man that told me all that I have done. Marriage is glorified. Matter of fact, the very picture of Christ and his church is the husband and his wife. Education, that we don't worship matter in the earth. It's made by God with organization and curiosity can be satisfied. So we have telescopes and microscopes invented by Christians that we can figure out what's there because we see the creation is given by God. Science, Alfred North Whitehead said, you would not have had modern science without Christianity that didn't worship the creation, but tried to study it and to know about uh, the rules that governed the creation. Uh, medicine, Christians, art, the word aretas means excellence. And so whenever you just didn't draw, but you tried to draw something that was ethereal and great and lofty, that was forged primarily by Christianity and Western art. Music, that you're trying to hit a note just right, that there are eight whatever is making an octave and you got to hit right on. That's why you don't want to try out for the uh, choir. 
if you're not good. He won't let his mother in, all right? So you got to be good because he's got an aratus, a standard. That's why when you go to a modern art museum, you wonder if you're being filmed and they're laughing at you, all right? Because it doesn't look like it's anything marvelous. The civil of civilization, America is a Christian invention. Law is a Christian invention. I spoke once or prayed at the House of Representatives and along the uh, facade underneath the balcony, there are pictures or uh, impressions uh, of leading figures of law. There's popes, there's judges, there's all kinds of guys. Guess who's in the middle looking right at you? Charlton Heston. <laughs> Who am I talking about? Moses with glory, the giver of law, God through Moses. Uh, slavery removed by William Wilberforce, a Calvinist of England, removed by abolitionists, William Lloyd Garrison, Herod Beecher Stowe, a lot of them here that got rid of it. Christians because they saw the dignity of man. The temperance movement because we had so many alcoholics in the West because they would make rye whiskey that you could make in like an hour. And uh, it was Christians that tried to get rid of that to save families. And so you remove Christ from a culture, you just take the, you, you cut off the limb you're sitting on. It was Alexis de Tocqueville that said about America, America is great because America is good. If, you, if they no longer are good, they will no longer be great. He said, don't y'all get all excited about democracy. That assumes a literate, believing people that will elect proper guys to rule them. The day you lose sight of God is the day you elect idiots. Actually, I said that. <laughs> so good didn't say that. That's what he thought. Without Christ, you cut off the limb you're sitting on. If you're a, a girl and you may be so rotten, we had put you away in prison. But if I ask you what kind of husband you want, you're going to start talking about John Calvin. All right. I want him responsible, loving, respectful to me, my mother, responsible to my children. We're talking about Christ here. You can be a guy that's as worthless as the day is long. But if I say, hey, who you want to marry? I want a woman that is respectful to me, my family, that will take care of our children. It's Christ. I mean, atheism is marvelous if you're in a bar. If you're a freshman in a philosophy class where you don't have to work it out, it'll, it'll work. But the day you walk outside and somebody runs the yellow light and hits you and won't pay collision, you're going to get all Baptist on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you're going to want justice. And so, notice what he says here. Are you with me so far? This is how John viewed Christianity. It is the major movement of God in history prior to his return. He's like Noah building that ark for the condemnation of the world. That's the church. Why are you doing that? So you won't have to face God in your sin. And he's coming and he's spoken. Dun, dun, dun. So listen up. He goes on in verse eight. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, 
If you know your Bible, you're probably going this. Something is passing away that new things come. Where did I hear that? Isaiah 65, 7, God's, or 17 of the last days. Behold, I create new heavens and new earth and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. I'm gonna take them away and I'm gonna make things new. Revelation 21.1, then I saw new heaven and new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. What we're looking at here, Isaiah and Revelation, is the removal of the old universe and new heavens and a new earth. Incidentally, when some guy says, where are you gonna spend eternity? And he says, heaven. I, I agree with him because I know what he's saying. Technically, that's wrong. Let me explain. After the kingdom of God, when Christ returns, says there's a final rebellion, Revelation 20. And at the end of that is the great white throne judgment. And then it says, the heavens and earth, uh, how does it say it? The elements melted with intense heat and the earth and its works were destroyed. The present stage on which this evil opera was perpetrated implode, they're gone. What's it gonna be like to see the entire universe explode? It's gone. And then it says that God makes new heavens and new earth. What do they look like? We don't know. It's only in the mind of God. The angels have never seen it. It's in the mind of God. It's like one guy said, if you're gonna court a lowly woman and get her to marry you, you don't come to her as the richest guy in the world. You come as a shepherd with wounds and you win her by your love. And she says, yes, and then you find out, she finds out that you're the Lord of the earth. And after the ceremony, he picks you up and carries you into your new cottage, which in our case is a new universe. What's it gonna look like? God's not gonna tell you. John saw it, time travel, Revelation 21.1, he saw it. And then he came back to Patmos, okay? I bet he slept sweet though after that. And so you're going to spend eternity in new heavens and a new earth. And the holy city will come down on a new earth surrounded by new heavens. And it says there's not even going to be the need of a sun for God himself shall be the sun. This prism will go out and you and I, we won't even need a, a nighttime to rest. We're glorified in a glorified universe. It's like Genesis 1-1, Roman numeral 2. We'll start it over. Uh, well, I make the old heavens pass away, the new ones have come. Now, what verse does that remind you of? 2 Corinthians 5-17. Every man in Christ is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. When Paul quotes that, he's quoting Isaiah 65 that John will quote over in Revelation about the end and beginning of a new universe, end and the beginning of a new universe. Paul quotes it differently. It's about the beginning of a new world order, the church, that knows it's coming and lives before God in a way that the world looks at it and says, God is real. And so our newness has already begun. When you trusted Christ as Savior, the old things were washed away.
Are you glad? I've told you the story about Sam Houston, our first governor. He said, Sam, your sins are washed away. Sam said, God help the fish. <laughs> because there's a lot of filth going out right here. And so it's gone. And now he has made us new. And so that's how Paul sees our salvation, that the new creation has begun. Peter put it like this, according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwell. Therefore, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of God as salvation. He's saving a people. So it's begun. And ideally, it means that a person can walk in a church and see a little bit of heaven. I can see the way that women are treated respectfully. You can leave your keys on the dash if you want to. Nobody's going to steal them unless they're a visitor from some <laughs> wicked place, okay? It means ideally you can trust your kids here. It means ideally that you can date a girl here and the girl can date him and he doesn't worry about what might happen, that the church will bind what heaven binds and it'll loose what heaven looses. And it's to be a little piece of heaven and all that it does. And so Christianity, Christians are the first fruits of what someday will be an entire creation. When Christ rose on Easter morning, a new day began. When I was at North Texas, I think I've told you this, we had a tight end named Steve and he was a Christian. He was a real Christian. And um, the, the guys on the team had a nickname. I told you this, his name was Killer from the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Remember the vulture named Killer? My little Killer. Bully, bully, bully. Bully, bully. How many of you watch Bugs Bunny? Okay. See, today we got SpongeBob, and that's why, uh, that's why the world's going down. Metal baseball bats and SpongeBob. It brings creation down. And when he would laugh, the RAs would have to come shut him up. <laughs> Well, Steve was a Christian. He had a little old girl he would take to church with him, his girlfriend. He always treated her like a princess. He would always open the door for her and we'd just watch him kill her. We tried to get him to cuss. We couldn't get him to cuss. He'd say, oh, snot. That was the best he would do. <laughs> and one time he was sitting down in the lobby and I had a buddy named Kenny from Alice, Texas. And he was sitting behind Killer and his girlfriend. And he heard something. He shook his head. He comes over to where we're sitting there in the lobby at Kerr Hall. I can still see him. He said, you know what Killer just said? What? He looked at that girl and he said, there's so many that don't know. And we went, <laughs> and I went, <laughs> what's Killer know that I don't? And I found out Killer knew the Lord. And he was saying, there's so many that don't know. Now, that is the position you're supposed to be in when you know what I just told you, that you're meant to be able to get over the world and look down at it and be above it, but to say, what a mess. Oh, that they only knew. You know what this world is like? 
It's like, see if this sounds familiar. When you're looking at something from down and it's going circular, it just keeps repeating the same stupidity over and over. That's why I don't watch the news. I said, I've seen it before. I saw it earlier. It's the same stuff. How many of you remember Dwayne Thomas running back for the Dallas Cowboys? After a Super Bowl, they said, Dwayne, is this the ultimate game? He said, if it was, why do they play it every year? <laughs> so I don't watch the news. I've seen it. You know, it's the same stuff. Nobody ever talks about the Trinitarian God, Christ, the Son of God, the incarnation, the atonement, resurrection, the word of God, the return. Let's live in fear of God. Y'all ever hear that on CNN? You don't hear it anywhere. We're the only guys that know this. And when I look at the news, I see it just going in a circle. Intellectualism, hedonism, materialism. Trying it and losing it, trying it and losing it, trying it and losing it. And it goes faster and faster until it disappears in a hole. What's that sound like? It's a toilet. <laughs> Steve, am I right? Dr. Poe says you're right. When you stand there at the thunder mug, okay, and you're looking down, round and round and round and round, gone. That is human history. I've got an idea that when the earth implodes on itself in the universe, it's going to be in one black hole of intense heat where no light escapes. And I think that'll be the lake of fire. It will be the present world judged and Satan and his angels and his children will be there. We're above it. And so that's how this should be lived out where I can look down and see something that is ethereal. When I was in college, and I think I've told you this before, uh, that's a great thing about Easter, people that have never been here before that you're able to share these stories. They all come to the first service. Well, they're rotten in the first service, okay. I had a buddy that played tackle at North Texas. His name was John Bowles. He couldn't make it in church this morning. He's listening on live stream. They took out some kidney stones. Go, John. Okay. But John was about 6'2", about 270. He's like a big, thick Tom Selleck. Nice looking guy. He was just thick and was just hard nosed. Daddy was a World War II guy on the, in Pearl Harbor, raised in the Navy. Just a hard guy. I got converted, all right? And he came up to me when we were lifting weights one time and he just said, what happened to you? I beg your pardon? What happened to you? What do you mean? He said, you're lighter. He said, you're, you're funny. You're, you're just not, something's changed. I said, you wanna know? I wanna know. You ever heard of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I'm Church Christ. I heard about him. Grew up in that Virginia. I said, it's real. He is the Son of God. He did die on the cross for what we did, and he rose from the dead. And what's more, he can come into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he can reunite you to God. The heck you say. It's a fact. Went away for two-a-day workouts, came back. He greeted me at Kerr Hall. He walked up to me. And he was doing something I'd never seen him do. He smiled. You ever see the Grinch at Stole Christmas? <laughs> he smiled. 
And as soon as I saw him, I said, you did it. You did it, didn't you? Yep. I said, how come? I had a date with a girl and she was like you. She was just kind of light and funny and happy. And I asked her why. And she gave me the same story about that uh, Jesus. Jesus, yeah, yeah. And I asked him into my heart and he had a buddy there named Clark played center for us. He was a Christian and wandered away. John brought him back. I named my son John Clark Nelson after those two men. I still call him every night and we pray together. I married him off years ago. I'm sorry, I was his best man. His wife passed away 10 years ago. And so he's retired and we still stay close. Clark died about 18 months ago. And so uh, we stayed close though. Uh, he was my best man. But I realized when that happened that there, I'd been wondering all my life for about something to commit my life to that was worth my life. I couldn't find anything that was worth my life. I saw that guy change and I thought, if I die, he lives on. It goes like this. Uh, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust thereof. It's the Greek word toilet. I lied. <laughs> but it is. The world's passing away. And the lust thereof. But the one who does the will of God will abide forever. Dwight Moody had that verse in a, embroidered in his study above his desk. He that does the will of God last forever. And I thought, this is it. And right at that time, Debbie, I was going to be, y'all got time to hear this? It's a great, it's a great story. Restaurants aren't going to open here for another 20 minutes. I don't think. Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, Debbie. Yeah. I tore my knee up as a Christian they moved me to defensive back. I didn't know why. And I an intercepted pass, took off running. My right knee went boom, and it's gone. And I missed my senior year. I was going to graduate, student teacher at Louisville High School. And uh, we got a new coach. Y'all remember Hayden Fry? SMU, Iowa, North Texas. He took us to 12 in the nation. And uh, uh, I decided to come out and play my fifth year because I wanted to play for this guy. And so I got to admit, as a Christian, I really was a lot better. Quarterback's a lot mental, and I was a lot better as a Christian. And uh, I was in two-a-day workouts. I brought my knee back, and so they called me in, and the coach said, I noticed you're a fifth-year senior. Yes, sir. Why'd you decide to come back your fifth year? You're 22 years old. I said, be honest, I want to play for guys like you. He said, Tommy, we're very flattered. However, it's always a bad word <laughs> to hear. He said, we're going to lose this year. And I can't lose with a 22-year-old senior. I got to lose with a 19-year-old sophomore. And so he very politely cut me. Me, the Waco Flesh. I was the extra point holder. <laughs> Didn't have to do it, but about five times that year. <laughs> so now I was done. And I said, well, now, God, I gave my heart to you. You moved me a defensive back, tore up my knee, and got me cut. 
When does the abundant life start around here? <laughs> so I'm a student teacher under Ted Barnes and uh, Don Harvey. I give him a magazine. He says, you're a Christian? Yeah. He comes back and says, could you speak to my athletes in the FCA? Me? I decided I could. I gave, him, I gave him a message called peace, pardon, purpose, and power, what Christ gives you. 16 guys there. I said, well, I'm done. Y'all want to, and they don't want to become Christians, do you? Eight of them said we do, and we trusted Christ. I said, this is fantastic. And then Randy Mays comes up to me, and he says, could you speak to the whole school? And I said, whoa, that's a lot of people. Like I said at the Good Friday service, I was Barney Fife with one bullet. Okay. I'd shot it. But I said, I can do it. So I gave him a message, peace, pardon, purpose, and power. And 150 kids trusted Christ. And then I said, this is incredible. And I found that the next best thing after knowing Christ was knowing about him, that you could tell others. And now I didn't have to go down the toilet. My life could be something. And then I found out you could get paid for doing this. <laughs> And here I am. Thank you. Let's go eat. <laughs> Father in heaven, we do. This is a world that's gone crazy, but God, it's always been crazy. Since Nimrod marched on the kingdoms in uh, Genesis 10, since Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Nazis, commies, all the crazies. God, it continually degenerates, except for us. But the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the day dawns, and we die smart with that knowledge that will carry us beyond. And so we thank you for the earthquake that moved that stone that men could get in to say that he left and see those grave clothes rolled up like a cocoon. He passed right through them. And he is the Son of God, and his death is valid, and the Old Testament's true, and the New Testament's true. And revelation's real, and you've left that knowledge with us. So I pray that you might, God, let us appreciate the tectonic movement of history that we happen to be a part of, the nations. And we'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen.